0: You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Abundant grace and mercy and peace are yours in Christ our risen Lord. Amen. Today's text, 1st Figure 1, 3 through 3-9, I just want to say at the beginning, means a whole lot to me. In fact, it's one of my favorite portions of the whole Bible. And has been a great help to me through my for many years. It was a it's a portion of scripture my wife and I discussed in the weeks before her passing. And it was actually one of the scriptures I chose for her funeral. And it's a perfect selection for the Sunday after Easter. That's where it's always placed in the readings for the church here. And you'll hear why as, as we go on. But I want us to think of a kind of an overarching title of, of being kind of life in between, life in between. And to kind of communicate that visually, I want us to kind of review... The reading that we just heard even though you just heard it because i want to with my body and demonstrate it so it's a wonderful text blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who are by God's grace are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Yes. So what I want to do is just do kind of an expositional type of treatment of this instead of a more of a sermonic style. I want to kind of walk through it verse by verse. So may the Holy Spirit help me. <clears throat> Amen. First focus I want us to see is is the resurrection. It's the Sunday after Easter, and that's where Peter uh, points our direction. Uh, he's writing this. Many of you studied this or the previous months, and you know it was Peter writing to scattered Christians, uh, mostly around what we call Turkey today, probably, and they're Gentiles. It's not a Jewish mixture, like like like, typically, uh, it, or often. And he develops his, these great big themes. But resurrection is where he starts out. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, as we just heard in our Acts 5 reading, he was an eyewitness, obviously. And remember, on Easter morning he he ran to the tomb with John and he actually went he went in and looked he saw the grave closed there but no body inside and then he was in the upper room when Jesus showed up and said peace be with you and showed them his hands inside and he was with them a week later and so he heard this conversation with Thomas and uh that interaction where Thomas is invited to see and touch Jesus' wounds, and G- and Peter was at the at the sh- at the shoreline, you know, of the lake when they had a breakfast with the risen Christ, and and Jesus gently restored him uh, to three times and commissioned him into ministry. So he is an eyewitness, and he knows this is a real deal. The rising from Christ, and he says. Um, uh, and he links us to that, our living hope, because of Christ rose from the dead. When Christ rose, we arose. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ have, have been buried with Christ? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See, uh, um, and so we're born again as we're trusting in what Christ has done. No resurrection of Christ, no new birth. It's that basic. And some have even suggested that First Peter, the five chapters of it, were like a sermon that Paul Peter gave and maybe wrote down to be used when uh, new Christians were preparing for for baptism, that's just an idea that scholars and commentators have suggested. The living hope, we have a living hope because Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And we have hope, hope is a, is a future certainty that um, we have, but we don't experience yet. We're looking forward, we don't see it. So he says we've got an this so it amounts to us having an inheritance. Inheritance. And maybe you've received an inheritance sometime in your life, or or maybe, maybe you you know you're going to receive one, and it's a sure thing, but you don't have it yet. You know, that's the kind of the nature of inheritance, is something has to happen before we, we have them. And he says. Uh, We have an inheritance. And then he describes it in three ways. He says it's imperishable, unfading, and and undefiled. So, why is it imperishable? It's imperishable because Christ is victorious. Nothing can put Christ to death again. He's victorious. It's imperishable. See, it's all about Christ. That's where our, our... Our inheritance is. And it's undefiled. Why? Because Christ is sinless. So nothing can blemish it. And it's unfading. Why? Because Christ is forever perfect. So in the meantime, he says, we're guarded. We're guarded through faith for salvation. It's ready. Ready to be revealed. But it's in the last time. So, I feel the drumbeat of the Holy Spirit. So, now, what about now? Well, Peter talks about that. In this you rejoice, this inheritance based upon Christ's resurrection, in this you great rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, various trials. So here's a multiple choice quiz for you, ready? What is most real to you in terms of, you know, what's pressing, what's most on your mind, what are you most thinking about, what keeps you awake at night? A, Christ's resurrection from the dead, B, your future inheritance that is waiting for you, or see the various trials you're facing in life. Hmm. I'm going with C. You know, they just they're just in our face, right? We consider the others real, but but they're out there, and so it's those various trials. Now, obviously, when he's writing this it's it's pressure from the unbelieving world pushing back against this this newfangled religion coming out of um, uh, Israel but i think I think it's legitimate to broaden it out to various trials because that's the words he used trials of various kinds, and I don't know what you're you're facing, but let's let's think think it out a little bit, because there's all kinds of trials it can be financial. It could be um, maybe your your uh, investments aren't performing the way you had anticipated, and you don't you know the future isn't looking like you had hoped it would, or maybe there's financial uh, setbacks that have come back into your life, major expenses you weren't anticipating. Maybe it's a relational, maybe an ongoing friction with someone. You've tried to um, bring healing, but it's not there. And it's just an ongoing aggravation in your life, a relational thing. Or 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 maybe it's physical. Maybe you recently got a you know test report for, from a doctor and it's disturbing. Or maybe it's a it's a chronic thing that you're dealing with over a long period of time, trials, various trials, he says. And maybe it's emotional, maybe there's just a kind of an anxiety that you, you struggle with, or a, or a depression. Maybe it's a historical um, trial. By that, I mean memories. <laughs> maybe Maybe you did something back then, and it just keeps haunting you. You know that, that just—it's a disturbing force in your life that you just is ongoing. Or maybe it's something that has been done to you in the past that just affects you now. Maybe it's vocational. Maybe there's just a, a ongoing aggravation in your in your work world uh, that that vocation. Or maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe you. Have, you know, had a house fire or a major event that that's set you back or maybe it's spiritual and um, uh, you're you're getting pushed back for being for being a Christian as he's talking about here or maybe just god seems far far away from you all of those the common denominator of all of those is pain Pain of one kind or another. C.S. Lewis wrote this, it's a well known quote of his pain insists on being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our circumstances, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I found that a helpful thought. There's another aspect of it about pain. Philip Yancey, a Christian writer, writes this, By taking it on himself, Jesus dignified pain, showing us how it can be transformed. We are not exempt from the tragedies of this world, just as God was not exempt. So, by Paul Peter saying various trials, you know, we're not told the what, but he, here he does talk about the why. Did you catch that? So you're tested, um, you're grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying: God somehow is using pain as as fire tests and refines or purifies gold. Gold. Now, um, I want to focus on two aspects of pain and how it kind of works out in our lives. And Martin Luther talks about both. This is one thing that he wrote, commenting on this portion of God's Word. He said, Scripture throughout compares trials to fire. Thus, St. Peter here compares the goal that is tried by fire to the trial of faith, trial of faith by temptation and suffering. The fire does not make the gold any less, but it does make it pure and bright so that all dross is removed. So, God has imposed the cross on all Christians, but they are cleansed and well, uh, by it they are cleansed and well purged. As a result, their faith remains pure as the word is pure, and they depend on the word alone and trust in nothing else. And then he says this, We need such fire and such a cross daily because of the old corrupt Adam. You see what he's saying? God is using this because it has this sin nature that is so pesky and persistent. And God uses the work of the cross with suffering to to deal with that. So it will trust in the word alone. The cross. And he says, we need such fire daily. Thank you, Martin Luther, for that reminder. <laughs> but that's the way it is. I I came across this uh, man named Merson wrote an article for the National Geographic about beekeepers who raise and transport bees for a living. He told the story of Jeff and Christine Anderson and how their daughter overcame an allergy to bee streams. To build up her immunity, doctors administers a series of injections to Rachel over a four-month period. But in order to maintain immunity, she needed a shot or bee sting every six weeks over several years. So every six weeks, it must have lived in the South because it was around throughout the year. So every six weeks, Rachel's parents would go outside and catch a bee. Then as Rachel recalls, mom would take hold of my arm and roll my sleeve up. Then my dad would make the bee mad and stick it on me and count to ten before he took the stinger out. But it worked. Now when I accidentally get stung, it barely swells, it barely hurts. This is pain. So, That's that's one facet of of trial. But Luther talks about another one. And he says this, it's very striking. One Christian who has been tried is worth a hundred who have not been tried. For the blessing of God grows in trials. He or she who has experienced them can teach, comfort, and advise many in bodily and spiritual matters. I was going to illustrate this with something else, but something happened in my life yesterday that came to mind. Yesterday I was in Portland attending a memorial service for a dear friend of many, many years, the congregation I served many years ago. And as a big service, a very well-known fella. And um, I unexpectedly had a chunk of time with um, talking to his widow, which surprised me because it was kind of a crowded type situation. But we, and she asked me specifically about the experience of grief, of loss of a spouse, very specifically. And my experience of that, and uh, because of my experience, and I was able to say some very specific words of experience and counsel into her life, only because I had been there. Mark, let's um, go say Martin Luther. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, God comforts in our, us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions with the same comfort that God comforted us with in our afflictions. That is a paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> but you can read it, Jerry, right in the first chapter. So, so, how God uses pain, uses that in, in, in different ways. One Christian who has been tried is worth a hundred who have not been tried, Luther says. So, so verses 8 and 9, kind of life in between. He, he says to the, his people, though you have not seen him, you love him. See, Peter, like we said, was an eyewitness. But he says, you don't have to have seen Jesus, and, and good for you, you haven't seen him, but you love Jesus. You love Jesus. You, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <laughs> so we live in this life in between. We don't have to have seen the risen Jesus with the, with the nail scars. It's not necessary. Remember, Peter heard Jesus say to Thomas, Blessed are those who do not have not seen and yet believe. And that's informing him what he's saying here. It's not necessary. Sometimes I hear Christians, say, oh, if only I could have lived when Jesus walked the earth. Well, We don't, it's not necessary. But we don't, we can believe and rejoice because salvation is now ours. The outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And it's based upon, not I hope, I hope, I hope, or emptiness like that, but the a, a fact in the past, the resurrection of Christ. So I say once again, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen in me. Alleluia. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses understanding keep your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our victorious Lord. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church, LCMS. We thank you for listening, and we invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.